Good afternoon, and welcome to Valley Voices. I'm Amy Haddon Marsh, your host. On September 1st, the Bureau of Land Management began the largest wild horse roundup in Colorado in 50 years at the Sandwash Herd Management Area in northwest Colorado. The Roundup is also historic in that two conservation groups, the Sierra Club and Western Watershed Project, for the first time ever, came out against the Roundup. Today's show features interviews with Delia Malone, the wildlife chair of the Colorado chapter of the Sierra Club, and Eric Mulvar, executive director of Western Watersheds Project. First, Delia Malone. The Colorado chapter of the Sierra Club has come out against the 2021 Gather Roundup of the Sandwash Basin Wild Horse Herd. And your letter that came out on August 31st talks about that. I've never seen the Sierra Club support wild horses in any way, shape, or form. Well, very recently, after long discussions... Sierra Club national policy changed to embrace the idea that wild horses did indeed belong in herd management areas and that livestock did not belong in herd management areas. And so with that revision in the policy, we were able to speak out against the Sandwash Basin Roundup. Why did the Sierra Club wait until August 31st, the day before the Roundup, which started September 1st, to come out against the Roundup. We have had at Sierra Club a very long discussion about the wild horse policy. And it's taken us a very long time to go through all of the pros and cons and to develop the policy that we have. About a month ago, when we first developed our new policy, I had crafted a letter to Secretary Holland um, discussing and asking her to weigh in and stop the Sandwash Basin Roundup. That letter really got no traction. And so finally, uh, realizing that the hour was upon us, uh, I wrote a letter, a local letter, Colorado local, uh, in the hopes that we could get some traction with that letter so we could stop this Roundup. And who did you write the Colorado letter to? In communication with the American Wild Horse Campaign, who put out a press release in conference with them, I wrote a letter uh, expressing our dismay and need for a change in how the Sandwash Basin wild horses were managed, and thankfully they put out this press release. But the policy change, the Sierra Club policy change, is on a national level. That's what I'm hearing. That's correct. It's a national policy, and we have a policy within Sierra Club, uh, a one-voice policy, so that when there's anybody speaks for Sierra Club, it has to be within the guidelines of the national Sierra Club policy. Well, that's, that's a big change. Can you talk about some of the hurdles that you faced within the Sierra Club while you're trying to change policy? Sure. There is a lot of myth, misunderstanding, and quite honestly, uh, different priorities, uh, as there are with anything. And some of the myths 
about wild horses that continue to be perpetuated is that they are degrading the range and they are responsible for the degradation of the Western range. Nothing could be further from the truth. Uh, Another myth that we really still have to overcome is the idea that horses are somehow invasive, non-native species. Nothing could be further from the truth. The science is very clear. Wild horses evolved in North America and only in North America, and they were here as recently as 8,000 years ago. Yes, they were returned, but they were restored. They were essentially recovered. It's as if there was a species that had become extirpated and was restored to its native land. Does that mean that the time that they were gone matters? In my opinion, no. They evolved here. They are adapted to arid landscapes. They do not harm native landscapes. They know how to behave because they evolved here. So getting over that myth was critical. Another hurdle is that even within the Sierra Club, some individuals prioritize livestock over native wildlife. And so that was and still is a difficulty. Have other wild animals uh, been returned to their home ecosystems in the past 50 years by wildlife officials or Forest Service or, you know, federal or state agencies? Well, sure. We can look to black-footed ferrets. Black-footed ferrets were extirpated from Colorado and weren't here for decades, and they were restored. Even a more controversial one, we could look at her to gray wolves. Gray wolves haven't been in Colorado since 1945. They are about to be returned to their homeland. So yes, there have been species that we have actively restored to their homelands after being gone for quite some time. Well, when somebody's talking about a black-footed ferret, do they ever call it feral? They do not. They evolved here. They evolved with the landscape. They are native. They were absent for a while because of our activity. Mm-hmm. Horses are absent because they migrated in response to a cooling climate, but they were there. They were returned. They don't speak of gray wolves as being feral. They were native here. They evolved here. The horse is the same way. So they aren't feral. In my opinion and the scientific evidence, horses are not feral. Getting back to the livestock grazing issue, mm-hmm. talk about what you found in terms of uh, livestock grazing compared to wild horses at uh, Sandwash. There's an organization entitled the Public Employees for Environmental Responsibility, and PEER the acronym for Public Employees for Environmental Responsibility, managed to obtain BLM's own rangeland data. And from that data, they document that degradation to the range in the allotments that overlap the Sandwash Basin herd management area have been degraded by livestock to the point where there should have been reductions in the numbers of livestock that were utilizing that range. According to a Denver Post article, 
that was published on August 31st. It was a response to Governor Jared Polis and Marlon Rice's um, letter asking the Bureau of Land Management to postpone the Sandwash Roundup. Stephen Hall, who is the spokesperson for the State Bureau of Land Management Office, said that sheep grazing, and I'm quoting from the uh, newspaper article, the sheep grazing permit holders in the basin, meaning the Sandwash Basin, have reduced their activity because of drought and overgrazing by mustangs. Your thoughts? I do have thoughts about that. If we look at what are called the AUMs, the animal unit months that are active in the Sandwash Basin, uh, let me back up and say that an animal unit month equals either one cow-calf pair or five sheep or one horse. So right now... And that means how much they can eat in a month. It means uh, basically that permits a permittee, uh, uh, a a rancher on public land, um, to put, say, for instance, if he has one animal unit month for sheep, he can graze five sheep for one month uh, in a particular allotment. In two of the allotments that overlay the Sandwash Basin herd management area, which are supposed to be prioritized for wild horses, there are approximately 9,000 active animal unit months for sheep and about 900 active animal unit months for cattle. So if you do the quick math, that's about 40,000 sheep and about 900, no, 1,800 cattle, a cow-calf pair. So there are about 863 horses uh, at Sandwash Basin before the roundup. As an ecologist, I would dispute the idea that 863-odd horses have a greater impact than 40,000 sheep and 2,000 cows. In fact, what's needed is a scientific assessment of the range and a determination of exactly what is degrading the range and a scientific determination of how many horses, wild horses, the Sandwash Basin can actually support without the livestock there. Because the herd management areas, by law, are supposed to be prioritized for wild horses. That changed, though, Dee, with FLIPMA in 1976, the Federal Land Policy Management Act. The BLM sort of shifted into what the Forest Service was already doing with multiple use. And so now the Bureau of Land Management talks about balanced use. The BLM and the Forest Service still has a mandate to manage their lands sustainably for future generations. Future generations of wild horses, future generations of humans, and future generations of other native wildlife. Putting 40,000 sheep on those allotments is not sustainable management, and it is not 
balance. It is anything but. The degradation of the vegetation from sheep is, I would say, severe. And the impact to other wildlife, elk, deer, sage-grouse, from that overutilization by sheep is drastic. I've been on that landscape as recently as this summer, and the summer before, and the summer before, and the summer before that. When there's so much sheep dung on the ground that you can't see the vegetation, I think just without any serious analysis, it would indicate that it is sheep, not wild horses, that are causing the degradation of the landscape. This may be a little weedy, so to speak, but can one tell the difference by looking at vegetation between whether a horse has munched on it or a sheep has munched on it? Oh, absolutely. You can distinguish between uh, browsing from elk or deer or, or sheep or cattle or horses. Absolutely. So importantly, when sheep graze, and it's probably one of our most impactful uh, grazers that we have, because what they do is they basically yank the vegetation out of the ground. Uh, and their hooves are very sharp and pointed, and so that they disturb the soils and actually disturb the roots in the root mass, resulting in excessive soil drying. When elk munch, you know, they kind of rip things out, but they don't pull the whole plant out. And similarly with horses, they basically nibble. They don't pull the whole plant out of the ground. What would you say to the Bureau of Land Management as they are rounding up these 700 and some odd horses? They need to stop. They need to stop right now. They need to remove any livestock from that landscape for a minimum of five years, probably 10 to 20, to enable recovery of the vegetation. They need to use responsibly and humanely PZP, Porcina zona pellucida. Uh, it's a uh, fertility control. Until the time when natural processes natural ecosystem processes, can moderate horse populations. At this time, because natural processes such as native carnivores have been removed, because horse families are being broken up, those natural processes that would naturally moderate horse populations have been taken out of the system. So until that time, when those natural processes are restored, yes, I agree, there needs to be some sort of mechanism to moderate populations. And PZP has been shown to be effective and humane and not interfering with long-term horse processes, um, family processes, that would otherwise maintain horses in a, uh, a family group. The Sandwash Action Team, the acronym is SWAT, for at least five years has been up there working with the BLM, darting mares with PZP. Um, and they were supposed to have, the BLM was supposed to be doing 
bait and trap roundups every now and then to keep the the uh, herd size down. Um, what do you know of that program? Anything? I know only a little, but I know that they have been. They have volunteers that go out and do the darting. So a very humane way, a very uh, non-traumatic way of um, getting the PZP to the mares. And uh, yes, the herd has been growing. But again, we have this concept that this predetermined level, appropriate management level by the BLM is not based on any sort of science. There is no rhyme or reason for that, you know, their determined appropriate management level. So the the, the PCP has been moderating. Um, I think they could probably up the PCP program. Um, but at the same time, instead of killing cougars, you know, good science, good recent science has documented that cougars have a really uh, important impact on moderating wild horse populations. So instead of, on one hand, killing cougars, which disables that function, and on the other hand, using PZP to try to moderate, why don't we do both? Why don't we look at science and moderate the horse population and look at what the HMA can actually support. Mm -hmm. And if we have to have livestock there, so be it, but balance it. 700 horses or 800 horses, uh, as opposed to 40,000 sheep, doesn't sound very balanced to me. You're listening to Valley Voices. Next up, clips from an interview with Eric Molvar, Executive Director of Western Watershed Project. The Western Watersheds Project came out September 1st against the Sandwash Herd Management Area Wild Horse Roundup. You are like the second conservation group um, to actually take a stand against BLM's wild horse uh, management practices. Can you talk about what led you to do this? Well, the Sand Wash Basin Herd Management Area is supposed to be managed for wild horses, but also the BLM is authorizing and, and allowing to be trucked in um, thousands of sheep and, and some cattle as well to graze those same lands. Now, if the agency is going to claim that there's a drought and there's not enough forage and not enough water out there for the horses, the question is, why are they authorizing livestock to be trucked into this area to use those same resources? And so the, the appropriate action that the agency should be taking first is to um, get rid of the extra burden that livestock place on these ecosystems so that the wild animals that live there year-round can have the forage and the water that they need to survive. And then you might not need to go out there with a really intrusive helicopter-based gather system. I know how many AUMs are allotted for um, sheep up there, but do you have any idea, in actuality, how many sheep are on those allotments? Well, 
not only do I not know how many sheep are on those allotments at any given time, I suspect the Bureau of Land Management doesn't know either. Because, quite frankly, there are handshake agreements that they have with grazing permittees on how many animals that that get turned out onto these allotments in terms of domestic livestock each year. But there's not a lot of field checking. And Western Watersheds Project field staff go out into grazing allotments on a very regular basis and find animals in, in areas that are close to livestock, find livestock uh, on grazing allotments during seasons when they're not allowed to be there. The violations seem to be almost as frequent, if not more frequent, than compliance. And so, you know, the, the, the Bureau of Land Management put together a little chart of, of how many animal unit months of domestic sheep and cattle that it thought ought to have been out there on the Sandwash HMA uh, over the past 15 years or so. But whether that's actually accurate or not and reflects reality is an open question. And, and the fact of the matter is that the Bureau of Land Management isn't monitoring it. You say uh, in your letter to Nada Culver that um, the four allotments that overlap the Sandwash herd management area are failing rangeland health standards. Can you talk about that? Well, the rangeland health standards were put in place by the Bureau of Land Management to re- require some baseline of uh, ecological health out on public lands that's supposed to be maintained. And quite frankly, that baseline that they set as their standard is an extremely low bar. And so even in allotments that that are meeting these rangeland health standards, you go out there and look, and ecologically, often these ecosystems are suffering from overgrazing. Now, the Sandwash Basin allotments, three out of four of them are listed as failing the rangeland health standards because of livestock. And in order to fail the rangeland health standards because the bar is so low, that's an extreme level of degradation. And it's unusual for the Bureau of Land Management to admit that it's domestic livestock that's that's causing that problem. They do everything that they can to avoid saying that it's the livestock industry's fault because if they come to that conclusion, the obvious question then becomes, well, why is the Bureau of Land Management authorizing that level of livestock on public lands? And it points back in their direction in terms of, uh, you know, their management is mismanagement if that happens. And, you know, in the Sandwash Basin, the BLM is basically conceding based on its own analysis that their management of domestic livestock has mismanaged the resource and led to resource degradation. How did you find this information about the rangeland health standards? Well, Public Employees for Environmental Responsibility, a nonprofit conservation group that's um, heavily uh, made up of former BLM employees and former Park Service employees, gathered up all of the BLM's rangeland health data that was available um, back at that time, and they made uh, a GIS-based map server, and it's online on their website, which is peer.org, P-E-E-R. And uh, we queried that database and were able to find that information. Now, interestingly, in the years that followed, the Bureau of Land Management started to cover its tracks. And what it started doing in its more recent um, um, reveals of data on rangeland health is 
they started lumping together lands that were meeting rangeland health standards with those that were not meeting rangeland health standards, but moving toward rangeland health standards. And this is a big category. And this is really interesting because of those lands that, that have been meeting, not meeting the rangeland health standards, but moving toward the rangeland health standards, some of these allotments have been in that status for 10, 20, and 30 years. And to my knowledge, I don't believe any of them have actually made it meeting the rangeland health standards, they move toward it in such glacial sense that maybe they'll never get there. By lumping some of the lands that are failing rangeland health standards together with those that are meeting them, it makes the category of meeting rangeland health standards look bigger. And that's what the agency wants to show to the public, is that the problem with domestic livestock on federal public lands is, is not as big as it really is. Just today, I watched a nine news story in which a BLM official was quoted and, and, and was recorded as saying that a livestock utilized 4% of the forage on the Sandwatch uh, herd management area, and the wild horses eat the rest. I found that to be such an outrageous lie. There are elk, deer, pronghorn, uh, and, and other herbivores out on these lands. So if 100% of the forage is being eaten by wild horses and livestock, then there's nothing being eaten by the elk that live there or mule deer. That's ridiculous on its face. And certainly in the BLM's own environmental assessment for the Sandwash Basin, it shows that during times of year where the livestock and the, the wild horses are out there together on the range, about twice the amount of forage disappears is when it's the wild horses and the wildlife alone. So it looks to me like the, the livestock are eating about half the forage that gets eaten versus the wild horses and the wildlife combined. And yet here the BLM is, is telling the public on, on television that the, that the livestock are only taking 4% of the forage and that the wild horses are taking the remaining 96%, presumably. It just illustrates the extent to which the Bureau of Land Management is willing to create these entirely false narratives in order to support a uh, wild horse removal program that, frankly, is unpopular with the public and is not based at all on science or appropriate rangeland management. You've been listening to Valley Voices. I'm Amy Haddon-Marsh.